Lonely song, the songs for you. When we hear we can live without food for many weeks, we can live without water for many days, we can live without air for a few minutes, we're fine. We accept all of this. Okay, that's acceptable. We know this to be true. Even if you haven't gone without food for many weeks, even if you haven't gone without water for many days, and even if you haven't gone without air for a few minutes, we still are fine with it. We still accept it. We don't challenge it. When we hear we can't live without impressions for a moment, suddenly we become befuddled. Now, I know that befuddled is one of those words that you know what it means. You know what befuddled is. So I'm going to tell you the definition of befuddled because whenever you know something, it's usually a good idea to find out if what you know is anything like what it is. Befuddled is unable to think clearly. We think of befuddled and we have a general idea about it. But we don't think that it's unable to think clearly. My guess is that nobody had a clear definition of, well, befuddled is unable to think clearly. They would say, well, it's just kind of, you know, like bumbling or just kind of like confused. That's how people would define it. But they wouldn't define it as unable to think clearly. As a rule, some people would. I would because I looked it up. And if it's fresh in my mind, then I'll define it that way. But if it's not fresh in my mind, I'll probably go back to, well, it's kind of like being confused and bumbling around and you know, like lost in the weeds, unable to think clearly. There's a reason that we find it so difficult to believe that without impressions, we couldn't live, not even for a moment. And the reason is we believe we are the body. We fail to recognize the difference between having a body and being the body. We believe we are a body. You think you are the body that you're sitting in at the moment, and you're not even sitting in it. Your body is sitting, which means you're sitting. And if I ask you, what are you doing? You say, well, I'm sitting here. You don't say, well, my body is sitting here, but I'm thinking. You don't say, well, my body's sitting here, but I'm daydreaming. You don't say, well, my body's sitting here, but I'm doing something else. That's not what we say. And the reason we don't say that is because we don't make the distinction. I'd like to correct that as far as possible today. Morris Nichols said, when we take ourselves as our bodies, we get a wrong impression of ourselves. And this is it. We get a wrong impression of ourselves. We think that we are something that we are not. And it creates a tremendous amount of problems for us. This impression produces the idea we are nothing but our bodies, he went on to say. So what he said completely is, when we take ourselves as our bodies, we get a wrong impression of ourselves. This impression produces the idea we are nothing but our bodies. And I think it's clear that we pretty much have this idea of ourselves, this impression of ourselves, that pretty much we are nothing but our bodies. As you think about it, as long as we stay in the belief that we are physical bodies, we can't develop spiritually. How could you? A body is not spiritual, so it can't develop spiritually. Or you can't develop psychologically, because a body can't develop psychologically, if you prefer the word psychological rather than spiritual, and some people do. But for me, they're interchangeable. Psychological, spiritual. Spiritual means the mind. Psychological means the mind. So whichever you choose, the reason that people have bad associations about spiritual is because they have bad associations about religion. And the reason they have bad associations about religion is because they are unable to separate themselves from their negative emotions and their old associations. And so they end up with bad impressions, old associations about religion. Well, they did this and they did that. 
Yeah, and we forget all about the good that they did. All we can think about is the bad that they did. And why is that? Because we fail to separate from our negative emotions. That's why. Because we fail to separate from these lower, little, mechanical eyes that delight in such things. I remind you once again to pay more attention to the meaning than to the words. The words are important only if they convey meaning. If they do not convey the meaning, then the words are unimportant. And the words are unimportant if the meaning is conveyed. So if you get the meaning, it doesn't matter what the words are so much. They shouldn't get in the way too much. But if we spend our lives trying to be precise and exact about the words, then we find that we end up missing the meaning. Kirpal Singh said, The problem before us is how to bring about a change in man's heart and affect his inner conversion so that he can see truly and clearly and learn to discriminate between truth and untruth. Since this lies beyond the scope of body and intellect, it can only come about through an inward illumination of divine wisdom in the sanctuary of the soul. Now that's a lot. And the reason it's a lot is because that's the truth. That is a pregnant statement. There's a lot of truth there. He's saying you're not a body. You have a body, but you're not a body. And to take yourself as a body is to diminish yourself and to hinder your own spiritual progress, to hinder your own psychological progress. And I love what he says. The problem before us, and we do have a problem before us, and the only people who are listening to this are the ones who are beginning to understand that we do have a problem before us. And the problem is us. It's not something out there that needs to be fixed. The problem is you. The problem is me. The problem is I. That's the problem. So we've got this problem before us. How to bring about a change in man's heart. This is exactly what the fourth way says. It is the emotional center, the heart of a man that needs to apprehend, to grasp, to embrace, to invite, to allow, to be the truth. We need to make our hearts clean. And our hearts are not clean. Our hearts are full of negative emotions and garbage, unnecessary garbage that we have allowed because we have allowed little mechanical eyes to wallow, to play in dark places because it was easier and because everybody else was doing it and because we acquired this, we learned this from the other machines around us as we grew up. It's not their fault. It's not our fault. It's the way it is. Our fault, our problem is, it's up to us to do something about it when we become aware of it. If you are listening to this, you have become aware that there is a problem in you. To some degree, you must have located it in yourself. You can't simply be listening to this just because you think it's going to do your husband or your wife or your child or your boss good. You must be listening to this because there is something in you that is doubtful about all of these pictures you have of yourself of being so wonderful. There's something in you that's saying, mm, uh, maybe not. Bring about a change in man's heart and effect. What's the purpose of the change in man's heart? To affect his inner conversion. To be converted from what to what? To be converted from animalistic, negative, hateful, selfish, vicious, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, every man for himself, dog eat dog. To be converted from that to conscious love through external considering, 
of our fellow beings, to be converted from one to the other. That's a big job, so that he can see truly and clearly, because we'll never do this until we can see truly and clearly. You're never going to be able to distinguish between one and the other until you can see truly and clearly. How could you possibly? Between truth and untruth. Since this lies beyond the scope of the body and intellect, it can only come about through an inward illumination of divine wisdom in the sanctuary of the soul. I think that's beautifully put, which is why I'm quoting it. In a recent email, the writer despaired to me. I am so not simple, the writer said. This is a result of taking ourselves as one rather than the many that we actually are. I am so not simple. That's true. You are so not one. That's what that means. If you are one, one is simple. One is a simple number. 9,427 is not a simple number. Pi is not a simple number. Those are not simple numbers, but one is a simple number. So I am so not simple means I am not one. But we must realize what we're saying. It can't be, I am so not simple. It can't be that. It needs to be, I am so not one. I am so many. There is not one I here. There are many eyes. As a matter of fact, we're layered. Analogies have been used like onions, layer cakes, things like that, to help us free ourselves from the belief that we are what we can see through the five senses. I am so not simple. But we look in the mirror and it says, well, but there I am. That's pretty simple. And so we get befuddled when we look in the mirror and see, it's very simple, that's me, and yet we can't control that. And yet it has all these thoughts and all these wills and all these feelings that just come upon us, kind of possess us and make us do things that we think we didn't want to do. Well, if I'm so simple, if I'm one, then how come I'm doing this thing that this one doesn't want to do? It's like there's another one in me now that wants to do this. So now I'm possessed, and we can blame it on demons and evil spirits if we'd like. But the worst demon I've ever seen is man when he's negative. Well, this can only work if we understand and apply the knowledge. Think of layering clothing in winter. The outer layer of clothing effectively covers the inner layers. You wear something heavy on the outside, something that blocks the wind, preferably, and something that, if it's wet, that stops the moisture from getting into your skin or into other layers of clothing underneath, because then you won't be able to stay warm as easily. I don't know if you understand layering or not. Some people do, some people don't. A lot of people think that just something heavy will do. But it's not heavy that does. If you look at goose down, it's not heavy at all. And the reason it's not heavy is because it's not weight that keeps you warm. It's air. It's dead air trapped between the layers that your body can warm. And because it's dead air, it doesn't move. It stays warm and it stays right there. So the more layers of dead air you have, the more layers of dead air your body can heat and then keep that heat close to your body. So we'll talk a little bit about this because I think it's a good analogy. The outer layer of clothing effectively covers the inner layers, though, as I've said. Unless we're told that they're there, it may not occur to us to look for them. I remember once when I was a kid, it was in the winter, and back then a style of a coat that was very popular that I had was a Logan and it was a big wool coat, and it had these big wooden toggle buttons that went through rope. You remember those? And it had a hood. And it was pretty warm because it was wool. And I wore a big 
bulky wool sweater under it that had a lot of air space in it, and of course a shirt underneath that, and then an undershirt underneath that shirt. So I stayed pretty warm in the winter. Well, a couple of the kids were playing, and they wanted to see something. And so in order to do these moves that we had to do, we had to take our coats off. Well, I took the coat off. Suddenly, I was this little guy. <laughs> I mean, this big coat made me look big. But when I took the coat off and I took this bulky sweater off, there was just this skinny little guy underneath of it. And the guy who had never seen me without my coat off was kind of a new friend. And he was like, huh? Well, you're, you're a skinny little guy. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because Steve said that to me one time. He said, yeah, you're still a skinny little guy. And he's right. I'm still a skinny little guy. And so my point is that it's deceiving. The outer layering is so deceiving, it covers what's underneath it, but it also covers what you really are, who you really are. So it's a good idea for us to think about this, to remember that we need to look for the inner layers, not just take the outer of ourselves as all of us, but to look for the inner layers. We'll talk about this in a way that hopefully will be able to impress you so that you'll be encouraged to do that, that it'll be something that, well, that's a good idea, I could do that. This is a particularly good analogy because of that. It's not the visible clothing that keeps us warm. It's the trapped dead air. So it's not outside that makes us what we are. It's what's inside. It's the trapped dead air inside of us. It's not just keeping us warm. It's also causing us problems. The dead air can't be seen like the parts of us invisible to the five senses, yet it's vital. I'll use a physical analogy. Average body temperature is between 98 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit. If our core temperature falls below 95 degrees Fahrenheit, we begin to suffer hypothermia. You're supposed to say, what? Are you sure that's right? 95 degrees? If it falls just that much, we begin to suffer hypothermia? Yes, that's right. If it goes just to 95 degrees, if it falls just to 95 degrees, we begin to suffer hypothermia from mild, which is mostly physiological, to severe. So it's mild, moderate, and severe. The mild, we start to shiver a little bit, our teeth chatter, and our blood vessels will start to constrict in our fingers and our toes and then in our hands and in our feet and then in our extremities as the hypothermia increases, as the body closes down the blood vessels so that it can keep more blood to the core. It tries to keep the organs, the vital organs that keep you alive, it tries to keep them at the right temperature, it tries to keep them functioning. So it starts to shut things down. This is the intelligence of the instinctive center. This is why we shouldn't mess with this, because we're not as smart as the instinctive center is when it comes to the physical body. So we should let it do its job. In fact, we should help it do its job. We could be smart enough to do that. We could learn enough to do that. And some people don't, and they die of hypothermia. As it goes on, then down to severe, what happens is we start to have difficulty speaking. Then we start to think very sluggishly. And then amnesia begins to occur in the person. They become incoherent. Then they start to display irrational behavior. And then finally, fall into stupor. If we have no feeling of ourselves, apart from the visible, physical body, it's like having no layers to trap air that can keep us warm. When we look in a mirror, we see our bodies, and mentally, we take them as ourselves. What is it that's looking at the body? 
we'll say, we are. Well, I ask you, is it you are or is the body saying we are? I mean, what is it that's looking in the mirror? What is it that's seeing? Is the body looking in the mirror? Isn't that like leaving the fox to guard the hen house? Letting the body look at itself and tell you that you are that? Isn't that like leaving the fox guarding the hen house? It's the most external layer looking at the most external layer of ourselves. It's the coat looking at the coat saying, I am a coat. And all of the other layers that are underneath that, it doesn't see. Because all that the coat can see is the coat. Because the coat has only eyes for the coat. It can't see any deeper. Turn that image on its side, and it's the lowest looking downward. It's the outside of us, or the bottom of us, looking down, rather than something more internal to that coat looking up. So you can see it either way. You can look at it as this layer on the outside, or you can turn it up on end and look at it as higher and lower. Either way it works, or inner and outer. It doesn't matter to me. So inner and outer are higher and lower. This is why we say they are the same, because this is the analogy. This is how it works with us because of how we are layered. The higher, more internal layers of us through which thought, feeling, and will manifest remain invisible to us if we take ourselves as only a body. If we're only looking at the external, then we must think that the brain is thinking. In fact, people who take human beings as a body tell you that the brain is thinking, that the brain is doing it. They don't know what to tell you about the mind acting on the brain, the mind that acts on the brain, that makes those synapses spark, that makes the energy flow. They don't understand that because they can't measure that, they can't see that, because they're looking with a body. And if you're looking with a body, all you can see is the realm of the body, the physical realm through the five senses. Anything beyond that must be invisible to the body. So this is why we get stuck. We're looking through a body, thinking we are a body, and when we think we're a body, then we think this is all there is. We don't look any further. And so esoteric teachings come along, and they invite us to look further, and not only that, but they show us a direction, an area in which to look. They give us an idea of where to look. If you were going to search for something in a big field, you would want to search for it close to where it was. If you have an acre, and if you're trying to find a quarter in an acre, or a 50 cent piece in an acre, or a $10 bill in an acre, or a suitcase in an acre, it's a good idea to know about where it's at so that you can start searching there. That's what esoteric teachings do. They give us direction to show us where to look in general, because specifically, you have to find that out for yourself. Like Specifically, you have to do the searching. The body doesn't think. It's the spirit of a man, the mind, that thinks and communicates through the body in the same way that a ripple moves outward toward the circumference of a pond when a pebble is dropped in the interior of the pond. It's just that simple. But when it flows out, you see the ripple and you see its effect, but you don't think about the pebble that started that ripple. You don't look back to where it started, what started it, the body touches the external world. It is effectively our external world. Your body is your external world. It's your first external world. Then the external world outside of your body is, let's say, your house, your car. And then the external world outside of that is your neighborhood, 
your city, your county, your state, your country, the part of the world that you're in, your planet. All of this is our external world, but we keep it small by thinking that we're a body because we think, well, I can't go to any other place without this body in the external world. So it connects us with the external world, and oddly, at the same time, it separates us from it. So it is your body that connects you to the people in your world, but it is your body that separates you from the people in your world. That's how you know the difference between them and you. You look at your body, and you look at their body, and you say they're different, they're separate. So it connects you, and yet it separates you. Buildings, trees, oceans, the sky, the clouds in the sky, all seem foreign to us. Why are they foreign to us? They're incongruent. They are not us. They are separate from us. What can you do with a nice view? Well, if you've got a great view, what can you do with it? Can you eat it? No. Will it keep you warm? Not necessarily. Will it clothe you? Will it house you? No, it won't do any of that. The best thing you can do with a good view is sell it because somebody else is surely going to want it. When we moved in where we live now, our neighbor was upset because we put something up that ruined his $50,000 view. And I said, well, how do you put a price on a view? But you do. That's what people do. They put a price on a view. And if someone will buy it, then they sell it. And if someone won't buy it, then they lower the price until someone will, unless they want the view more than they want the money. And that's called commerce. That's called free market. There it is. It's worth whatever anyone will pay for it. Whatever anyone will give you for it, that's what it's worth. Even other people... And our own bodies seem incongruous. Incongruous means not in harmony with the surroundings. So when you look at it, you'll notice that our bodies are not in harmony with our surroundings. And our surroundings are not always in harmony with our bodies. That's why we get our bodies out of harm's way. I was having a massage, a shiatsu massage, one time down in San Diego. And in order to get there, I started late and the traffic was really bad. And I was riding a motorcycle at the time. And I was hitting like speeds of 100 on the freeway. I know. And I told the masseuse this, you know, and he said something that I remembered. It just woke me up for a moment. He said, wow, imagine a human body hurtling through space at over 100 miles per hour. So you could never walk that fast. You could never run that fast. And you see that what woke me up was how incongruent it was. It was not in harmony with my being, not in harmony with my body. And so in many ways... The world that we have made is not in harmony with our bodies. And that's why our bodies are suffering from cancer and stress and all of these diseases and problems that we're having, heart diseases and all of these problems, because we are not in harmony with our world anymore. These moments of awakening can be very powerful and useful to us when we have a flash and wonder if that is really us. When you look in the mirror... Every once in a while, you look and you say, well, that's not who I thought I was. Every now and again, a woman will look in the mirror especially and say, what happened to the girl that used to be there? Or she'll bend over in something that didn't sag sags now. And she'll say, where did that come from? What happened? And it's a big shock. And these shocks can be useful. Rather than go to cosmetics, rather than go to some way of fixing it or hiding it or shoring it up, it would be a much better idea to ask yourself if that is really you. Is that really I? And it's a good idea to remember at that time, that is not I. The conflict is the body is really you. 
That is the truth. But only the lowest or most external layer of you. Your coat is your coat, and it is keeping you warm. But it's not the only part that's keeping you warm. There are other layers underneath that that you need to see and are just as vital, if not more vital. And they certainly are if you want to move upward internally. If you want to move internally and learn to deal with your world from the inside out rather than from the outside in, which is the only way that life can truly be lived and enjoyed properly. The order is all things flow from the inside out. When they flow from the outside in, something's wrong. Life is running you. You're not running life. Life is running you. You are being run by life. You are a function of life when you are directed from the outside in. You must be directed from the inside out in order to take your proper place in your spiritual development, in your psychological development. There is so much more that the body looking at the body does not, cannot see. How can we begin to shift our center of gravity from the body? Because this is really what it is. When our attention, when our sense of self is in the body, it's our center of gravity. Our center of gravity is in the body. And if you think it's not, and if I pick something up or point something at you or come at you with a knife or a hammer or a gun, you're going to suddenly put aside all of your silly ideas about I'm not a body. You are a body and you know you are a body. This is not about that. This is about recognizing that you are much more than that and there is more to you that you can see and function in if you will leave this idea that you are only a body. We're not saying you're not a body. We're saying you're not only a body. There is more to you than that. Any more than that is your only coat. Even if it is your only coat, you could get another one. So how can we begin to shift our center of gravity from the body? that which enables us to be in touch with the external world, to something of greater, more lasting value. We realize the external world is changing all the time. We realize that the things around us are going to diminish, they're going to go away, they're going to fall apart, they're going to disintegrate. And when they do, something else is going to have to take their place or there's going to be nothing there. There is something of more value, something that does not change as quickly, and there is something that does not change at all. This is the work of esotericism. This is where self-remembering begins to be effective in our development. As long as we take the lowest, the most external part of ourselves, as all of us, we can't remember ourselves because it's only part of ourselves and not the whole of ourselves. So how could we possibly remember ourselves? The only thing we'll be able to remember is that external layer. But we won't know anything about the other layers. We won't remember anything about the other layers, the more vital layers, the more important layers, the more valuable layers. We begin by embracing the strange idea that you are not your body. And it is a strange idea. You tell people this and they will what do you mean I'm not my body? You look through your body into the external world and where you are in the external world. Just like looking through a window in a submarine. You know that if you go beneath the sea or you go beneath the water in a submarine, you can look through a window, but you know that you're not out there. And we don't know that, you see. We're looking through this window that is the body, and we don't know that we're not out there. We don't know that we're looking through this. We have failed to grasp that. Our identity has become the window of the submarine rather than what's inside of it. And that's our condition now, and that's what needs to be looked at. That's what needs to be examined. You could not see the ocean without the window. You couldn't see the external world 
without the body. Think about it. Your body sees the external world because it is part of the external world. Your body can't see the next part of you. Let's say the next part of you. If you didn't have your body, the lowest, most external layer of you would be missing. It would be like peeling off your coat. You remove your coat, so then that's gone. So now you can't see the external world anymore because that which you used to see the external world has been removed. So you can't see the external world. So what would you see? Well, you would see the next layer because you would be looking through the next layer. When the external layer is missing, it takes with it all that it touches, everything external to the rest of you. Just like if you take off your coat, then your next layer is exposed to the elements. The next layer would then be your lowest, more external, or ultimate part, and it would touch all that belongs to that world. Perhaps some would say the astral world. So let's say that. Let's say the astral world, as we may see now in a dream where we are located in that world. So perhaps in a dream you may see something of the astral world. You may see that it doesn't obey all of the physical laws as we understand them, that there are transcendent laws or different laws for that world. In a dream, you can do things that you can't do in your physical body. Are you doing them? Well, your physical body can certainly think so. Your mind can certainly think so, so much so that people have heart attacks from dreams. People die in their sleep. They have a heart attack. They have a dream. It's so terrifying to them, they have a heart attack and die. And then they're out of the physical world, and they're in the other world then. This all may seem strange, but it's all part of the analogy. Remember, it's just an analogy. It's just an image. Try not to take it too far, but try and let it serve you. The practical application of this is for you to try to see you are not just your body. This is not about astral projection, the astral world, or this or that, or dreams, or lucid dreaming. All of that stuff is fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the very practical idea of realizing and making real to yourself that you are not your body. You are not only. You are not just your body. Try to remember when you look into a mirror, when you see reflection in anything, try to remember in that moment that there is more to you than the body can see. Say to yourself, that is not I. So this is the practical application of this. This is what I'm asking you to do. Try to feel yourself looking through the window at the people and things in this external world by means of the body. Because that's what you're doing. You're looking through this body to the things in this outer world. If you turn your attention inward, if you turn that around and you start to look inward, what do you suppose you will see? What do you suppose you will find in there? Gradually, this will give you a feeling of self-remembering. This is the self that you need to be remembering. The one that's behind this body, that's looking through this body. Is this the only self you need to be remembering? No, but it's where we're starting. It's the next layer. And that's important for us to do. Because without self-remembering, you're not going to remember any of these ideas. You're not going to remember to observe yourself. You're not going to remember anything. You are going to continue to be a function of life. You are going to continue to be directed by life events. And that's no way to live life. You are the best and matter, but part of a cosmic life.